Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 197. Today we're going to start things in the book of Luke as we completed the book of Mark yesterday. First of all, none of the, uh, the writers of the Gospels are known for sure. They're all assumed, I think with some good reason, that the authors are those that they are named after. And so we assume that uh, uh, the book of Luke was written by Luke. Uh, It is also believed that the books of Matthew and Luke sourced a lot of their stuff from the book of Mark. And so seeing as though Luke was not a contemporary of Jesus, Luke was not an eyewitness uh, to the things uh, that Jesus accomplished when he was alive on earth. Um, Luke was a contemporary of Paul. Um, He accounts many things uh, uh, from, it's, it's believed, the book of Mark. Uh, Luke was a physician, and so as such, he had a certain level of detail. His writing style is a little bit different uh, than what we've been uh, um, privy to thus far in the book of Matthew, in the books of Matthew and Mark. Um, Luke is also uh, believed to have written not only the book of Luke, but also the book of the Acts, and so he refers to the book of Luke as the um, as the first narrative, and I, I would presume the book of the Acts as the second narrative. And so um, it is assumed that this was written roughly, you know, if Mark was the source and Mark was the book of Mark is, uh, I guess, estimated to be written sometime in uh, AD 50, maybe the early part or mid part. Uh, The book of Luke is assumed to, with some speculation, to be written sometime in the late AD 50s, maybe possibly early AD 60s. And then uh, the book of Acts follows that. And so with that, let's get started in Luke, the Gospel of Luke. It says, dedication, the dedication to Theophilus. Now, who is Theophilus? It, it appears that Theophilus is, is, is a person of some respect and renown. I don't know if he's famous or not. I don't know. And it seems like some scholars uh, assume that Theophilus has actually funded uh, Luke in order to... Um, uh, be in the presence of Paul and and to write the accounting and whatnot of history that has taken place. We don't know for sure, but um, by a little research, that's the way it seems like uh, many scholars believe was the relationship between Theophilus and Luke. It says in uh, chapter one, verse one, it says, many have undertaken uh, to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. So Luke is saying, many have undertaken the task to write about the things that have been occurring amongst us. And it says in verse 2, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. And so we see that Luke is saying, just as the original eyewitnesses to the things of Jesus. So this shows that Luke was not an original eyewitness. So just just as the original eyewitnesses, uh, and servants of the word handing down, uh, handed, excuse me, of the word handed them down to us, just as they, the originals, handed the word down to us. So it has also seemed good to me, since I have fully, excuse me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first. And so, Luke, being, uh, being a physician, was a man of some degree of detail, and he's, he's telling Theophilus, uh, Theophilus, uh, Theophilus, look, he says, I've investigated everything from the very first. I'm not just regurgitating hearsay. He says, uh, from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, 
most honorable Theophilus. And so he says, I'm, I'm, I've, I've recorded everything in an orderly sequence. It says, so that you may know uh, the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed, so that you may know that these things I'm writing about are true, so that you may know that you can take what I'm writing to you to the bank, that these are, in fact, facts. I am recording things uh, uh, such that you will know and you can read and you can have faith that what you are reading is true. It says, uh, Gabriel predicts John's birth. Verse 5, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest uh, of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. In verse 6, both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. I've got this highlighted here because there's a thought amongst some people that it is impossible to live a life according to what the Lord expects of us, that it's just not humanly possible. Here it says both uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah were righteous in God's sight living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. Does this mean that they did not sin? No, because the word tells us that there was only one sinless being, so they had to sin. But even though they were sinners, it says they were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. And so I have to assume that in their system of atonement through animal sacrifices and whatnot, that they weren't just going through the motions, that they would in fact, you know, uh, approach uh, their sin with sincerity and with um, confidence that they would be atoned for their sin if they approached atonement the way that it was subscribed for them to do so. And then it says in verse 7, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them were well along in years. Verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar. So Zechariah had gone into the temple and it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah uh, saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. Well, I guess so. <laughs> An angelic being sitting down, you know, and you said, whoa, what's going on? Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. Now, just think of that. So you, you come across, you know, uh, Zechariah is a priest, so he's going into the temple to perform his duties, and then he comes across this angel that's sitting there, and he says, yo, Zech, don't be, no, don't be afraid. First of all, he knows his name. That would freak me out, right? So you got this angelic being sitting there, and he knows his name. And he's telling them, don't be afraid. And oh, by the way, you know, your shame is, going, is about to leave you. Your shame of having no, no children, that's about to leave you. Because you're, even though you're old, you know, your wife Elizabeth, she's going to bear you a son. This is like Abraham and Sarah, right? They were both advanced in age, but it was told to Abraham that this is what was going to happen. And then it says, uh, verse 15, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. See, now remember, Jesus said when he was talking to the Pharisees, he says, John, you know, who never, you know, uh, uh, consumed alcohol and whatnot, you call him names, and here comes the Son of Man eating and drinking, and you call him names. And so Jesus was pointing out to the Pharisees that John didn't drink, and you called him names, but I drank, you call me names, so it, it doesn't matter. You had your mind set on what you were going to do or what you were going to think anyway, regardless of what happened. 
Then he says, um, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous. And so John's mission was to go out and prepare the way for the Lord. And then it says he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. See, because I guess there was some issues there and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous. And so, you know, if there was any misunderstandings amongst the wicked and the disobedient, apparently John would clear this stuff up so that they would understand what the righteous were talking about. And it says, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Verse 18, how can I know this, Zechariah asked the angel, for I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And so like Abraham and Sarah, see, they didn't believe what was being told them. Zechariah is not believing the angel here. He says, because it's coming against, you know, he says, I'm old. This can't be. I'm too old for this. Verse 19, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. <laughs> now listen, Gabriel says. You will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words. See, and so the angel is telling Zechariah, look, I told you, but you didn't believe me. Because you didn't believe me, you're, you're going to be a mute. You're not going to be able to talk until this child is born. And it says, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And so what was happening here, uh, Zechariah was being held accountable for his unbelief. <laughs> hmm. Gabriel predicts Jesus' birth, verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent uh, by God to whom, oh, excuse me, sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, uh, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Now, this is important. So Joseph is in the line of David because we know that the Messiah is coming from the line of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Uh, but she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And so the angel, you know, goes and tells Mary, Greetings, favor, uh, favored woman. You know, if an angel came to you and said, you know, Greetings, favored person of God. Wouldn't that kind of like, whoa, whoa, what is it? What, is, what does this mean? What, what's going on? Well, that's what Mary's reaction was. Then the, angel told her, told, then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him uh, the throne of his father, David. Verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Hallelujah. And so that's where we put our hope, and that's what our promise is, that Jesus' reign will never, will never end. And so the word says, you know, that if we confess him as Lord, we will be saved, and we will be a part of this kingdom that will never end. Verse 34. Mary asked, the, Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with the man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. You're young, Mary, but even Elizabeth in her old age, she's conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. And so Gabriel is telling Mary, you're going to have a son, even though you will have no relations with a man, you will be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. It will be a holy seed that will impregnate you. And not only that, Elizabeth, a relative of yours who's old, much older than you, way too old to have children, she's going to have a child. <laughs> Mary's visit to Elizabeth in verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the uh, hill country of Judah where she encountered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what happened is when Mary comes close to Elizabeth, John in uh, Elizabeth's belly, you know, recognized the spirit of Jesus that was coming near him and the baby leaped with joy and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now imagine this. This is Elizabeth, who's much, over, much older than Mary, telling Mary, How can this be that the mother, you Mary, of my Lord, you are carrying my Lord, has come to me? Imagine if you're Mary hearing this from Elizabeth. And you're wondering, you know, what am I carrying? <laughs> So at these words, Mary gives a very eloquent praise to God. You know, it starts in, uh, it starts in verse 46, and she gives an eloquent, eloquent uh, praise to God. Uh, let's go on. It says, the birth and naming of John in verse 57. It says, now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, he will be called John. Then they turned to her and said, none of your relatives have, have that name. Why are you going you know, to call him John? What are you doing? So they don't think this is right. And so, uh, geez, so what happens in verse 62 is, so they, uh, they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. So they motioned to Zechariah, yo, come here, dog. What? Maybe your wife is still under the influence of giving birth or whatever, but what do you want to call him? He asked for a writing tab tablet and wrote, his name is John. So he doubles down on what Elizabeth said. No, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, uh, he began to speak praising God. And so uh, when this happened, now John's tongue, excuse me, Zechariah's tongue was loosed and he can talk. And the first things out of his mouth, praising God, the very first thing. Verse 66, all who heard about him took it to heart, saying, uh, what then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. Zechariah's prophecy in verse 67. Then his father, Zechariah, filled with the Holy, Holy Spirit and prophesied. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and, and he began to prophesy. So he starts his prophecy. Let's drop down to verse 76. This is part of his prophecy. He says, And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways. 
It says in verse 77, you will prepare his ways to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us. See, he's referring to Jesus, the dawn from on high, he will visit us. And you're, go- you're going to announce all this stuff. The dawn, from all, all, uh, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death. So Jesus is going to come, the dawn from on high, to shine on those who live in the shadow of darkness, excuse me, who live in darkness and the shadow of death. That's, that's his purpose. He's coming to shine light on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace, to steer us in the ways of the Lord, to steer us in the right direction. That's why Jesus is coming to shine light on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's go on to chapter two the birth of Jesus. Let's drop down to uh, verse 4. It says, uh, Joseph also went up uh, from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, uh, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. So to be registered, I don't know if this is a census to get a idea of the population. I'm I'm not sure what the registry was for. In verse 6, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. We see this often in nativity scenes, right? The shepherds and the angels in the same region Shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at over and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. So you had shepherds, i.e. farmers in the field watching over their flock, you know, their livestock. <clears throat> an angel, you know, appears to them and and they're terrified. But the angel said to them, "Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of the great joy uh, that will be for all the people. He says, look, don't be afraid. I'm telling you good news of great joy. See, this is going to be a great joy for all the people. Don't be terrified. This is great. This is good. Verse 11, today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. They're saying, look, somebody was born for you. Somebody is coming who's for you. He's your Savior. He's your Messiah. His name, the Lord. Verse 12. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in the manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with angel, uh, with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. So uh, <laughs> an angel appears before these shepherds, and then all of a sudden, suddenly, there are a host of heavenly beings around the angel. And so you have these few shepherds, and then they, they look. I'm assuming they look up or around. I don't know where you look. But now you have this company of angels, just, just heavenly hosts, just 
proclaiming glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. I'm, I, when I read these things, I, I always imagine, okay, how would I react if that was me? <laughs> you know, And so I would be terrified, but I would be also mesmerized. And then this last sentence, and peace on earth to people he favors, I would be thinking, well, this wouldn't be getting said to me if he didn't favor me. And so I would be filled with, with, with joy and anticipation, and I would, I would be beside myself. It says in verse 15, <clears throat> when the angels had left them <coughs> and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby uh, who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now, if I was one of the ones on the receiving end of the shepherd, knowing me, I would have been amazed, but I would have been skeptical. <laughs> I would have been, okay, uh, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to try to believe this. But I know me. I would, in the back of my mind, I would have been saying, oh, this sounds strange. But that's, that's what it, that is what my response would have been. And it says, Simeon's prophetic praise. In verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27, guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought him, when Mary and Joseph, when the parents brought the child, uh, Jesus, to perform for him, wait, let me see. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought, uh, brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law. No, Jesus wasn't performing anything. That's how I read it initially. Mary and Joseph brought Jesus in so that Simeon could perform for Jesus what was customary under the law. And so I think what was customary under the law was to deliver a prophetic word or prophecy over the child's life, make a pronouncement about what this child was going to be about and so on and so forth. And so in verse 29, it says, now, master, you can dismiss. This is Simeon talking. Now, master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Now imagine if you were Mary and Joseph hearing this. It says in verse 33, his father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Imagine if you're them and Simeon, uh, it sounds like a prophet, uh, was making this uh, a prophetic uh, uh, declaration over your child. See, he's saying that this, essentially this child is a light and revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. And so the Gentiles and his people Israel, that's everybody in the world. That's the whole entire earth. And so he's making this uh, majestic uh, proclamation over Jesus. Then Simeon blessed him and told his mother Mary, indeed this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul. Now imagine you're being told this. It's saying, look, this baby that you just gave birth to, he's going to be a problem for many people. 
Many people will rise and fall because of him. See, and not only that, he says, a sword will pierce your own soul. He's going to do things and whatnot that you're not going to understand, that you maybe not even agree with. You're going to wonder, is this child crazy? So he's given her a word on how she, on what, on what Jesus's life is going to mean to her. Hannah's testimony says there was also a prophetess, Anna. She was in the same vicinity as this was going on with Simeon. And she had a word to say. It says at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak to him, uh, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And so Anna is coming forth and saying that this child is going to usher in the redemption of Jerusalem. I can only imagine what Joseph is thinking as he's hearing these things from Simeon and Anna. In his father's house in verse 41, it says every year his parents visited, uh, excuse me, traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. So they left him. <laughs> they traveled for a day thinking he was with them and he wasn't with them. Then they began to look for him among the relatives and friends. When they could not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. So that had to be another day. So now we're talking two days to search for him. After three days, so now we're talking, I guess, five days in total, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded uh, at his understanding and his questions. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? This sounds like a legitimate question, right, son? He's 12 years old. He says, why, why have you, you know, we were concerned about you. We didn't know. We were worried. Why have you treated us this way? Your father and I have been uh, anxiously searching for you. In verse 49, why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. I wouldn't have understood that either. Five days. Five days, I was out my, without my child. He's 12 years old, old enough to know that what's, what's going on? Shouldn't you, you know, let us know? Or, or weren't you concerned that we might be worried? But Jesus' response was, was something otherworldly. In favor with God and with people. Then he went down uh, with them, excuse me. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth uh, and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. So as Jesus grew, you know, from 12 years old to whatever, to, you know, until he started his ministry, he increased in wisdom and stature, and so his reputation amongst the people increased. His favor with God increased. See? And his stature and reputation amongst the people grew. He wasn't ministering yet. See, a lot of people hop, hop into ministry as soon as they think they're supposed to. Jesus, well, he wasn't until he was 30. So he was just growing and marinating in the things of God. And his reputation was growing and growing and growing. And with that, we are done for today. We will pick it up in Luke chapter 3 tomorrow. And remember that this Jesus that we're talking about, he extends an invitation.
And his invitation is to everybody on the face of the earth. And the word says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will not be put to shame and you in fact will be saved. Saved from eternal hell and damnation. Saved for ruling and reigning with Jesus in eternity. It's an invitation that uh, people slough off, but others take seriously. Be one of the ones that takes it seriously. Take care, be blessed, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and should the Lord not come between now and tomorrow, we'll see you tomorrow for the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.